Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A listener production. Hey, I'm pro surfer and mental health advocate, Cooper Chapman, and this is Good Humans. On this episode, I'm talking to pro surfer Sally Fitzgibbons. She's a three-time world championship tour runner-up and the 2014 most trusted Australian sports person of the year. I found this chat with Sally so inspiring. She explains to me how she's evolved her mindset to reframe her relationships with winning and that it isn't as important as we all think and the skills she uses to constantly make herself better for her own reasons, not because the world tells her to. As the saying goes, comparing yourself to others makes you bitter, but competing with yourself makes you better. Welcome, Sally Fitzgibbons. Coops, it's an absolute honour to be here, and in person. This is um, such a treat, seeing as COVID times are a bit different. Yeah, it's been a very tough, kind of, well, very difficult last six months to, I think, everybody in the country and the world's life and it's been a lot of changes but yeah we're very fortunate to be here today we're sitting in the surfing australia mick fanning boardroom doing a bit of a little podcast which is great of them to offer up their space for us to sit down and have a chat in a nice covid safe area oh it's just got the energy you know when you sit in one of the legends rooms and you kind of reflect on some of mick's performances and i don't know just to have that kind of energy around you when you're training or even doing a podcast like this it's it's something that it kind of feels like you're connected to sort of the bloodlines of surfing yeah you can really feel the greatness sitting in the, in this training center here at Casarina. there's um surfboards everywhere with all the world champs there's little quotes from everyone and then there's all the best of the best Australian athletes and yeah there's all different rooms that we get to come and be inspired by and get to sit in when we sort of plan out the rest of our future and it's a perfect place I think to have a chat what we're going to sit here and talk about today which is the good human that Sally Fitzgibbon is and the career and the journey that you're on so yeah I'm, I'm excited to jump right in. So Let's talk about growing up. You grew up in Jarawa on the south coast of New South Wales. What was that like? It was absolute bliss. Like when you think of the ultimate Disneyland or just playground and open space, Jarawa for me and still is, it's like you go into, I don't know, this full cone of silence. Like we've only got a four or five hundred people um, in summer in our little coastal town and we're just surrounded by water and it just felt like um, yeah absolutely anything was possible and it really built that imagination as a kid you had so much free time to just play and be outdoors and um, we were bound to obviously uh, interact and grow that relationship with the ocean because it was just right at our doorstep. Yeah, it sounds like you're so appreciative and so lucky to grow up in a place like that. I don't think it would have been the same for, I guess, every kid though. What, what do you think was your X factor? I guess maybe looking at it nowadays is that there, isn't the, there wasn't technology quite the same as there is now, but what, what gave you that, I guess, fire and that imagination from such a young age? I'm not quite sure because my folks, you know, because weren't 
you know, they weren't elite athletes or professional surfers even. So for me to say I'm going to be doing at the age of, you know, six years old what I'm doing now, it didn't really exist. Like when I was picking up my boogie board when I was like three or four and, um, you know, to be a a professional surfer and make a livelihood and for for it to just be my career was kind of this – long shot you know and I said I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna be the best surfer in the world I'm gonna be a world champion and you know my brothers had three older brothers and that was pretty humbling they were like yeah dream big but not that big Sal like so it really I guess the area kept me really grounded and and just chasing around after them meant like I was just trying to beat them at everything so that just little competitive fire just was peppered on a a daily basis and uh but it was really on the back of I guess pure imagination that I thought that um yeah I could I was destined to to go out and and achieve something on the world stage um so I'd just get myself up in the morning and it might have been you know five or six a.m and the alarm went off and and off I'd go. I'd just go and like run laps of Jaroa, jump on my BMX and punch it around another couple of loops and, you know, grab my board and then do chin-ups in the tree because Blue Crush came out, you know, and I was like 10 years old watching all these things um, kind of influence me at that stage and I was like, oh, I'm going to do chin-ups and then I'm going to go surf and this is all before school and then um, do it again after school. So I wasn't sure where it was leading and some days, even to this day, I don't truly know where the story leads I just kind of follow the instinct yeah it's so beautiful trusting that intuition and from a young age coming from Jaroa small town on the east coast of Australia but it is quite a small town like you said 400 people in the middle of summer it's tiny very hard to be I guess inspired by other athletes but coming from Australia we almost have this underdog mentality globally being from where you were did you feel like Jaroa you almost had that underdog mentality coming into for like sport events for you, I know you're a great long distance runner coming against people from Sydney and people who had the facilities and having those things. It sounds like that imagination was crucial in your development. What sort of sparked that? And did you feel like you had that feeling of an underdog from a very the very beginning? Oh, for sure. I think that's so true. Like I still, to this day on tour, I don't know, for some reason... I thrive off the underdog story, you know, the the comeback kid or, um, you know, I've had a fair few obstacles or barriers and I'm like, no, no, I've still got more in me and I just seem to pop back up and tape it together and away I go. So um, I think for sure uh, I feel that it was almost um, one of my greatest attributes or strengths that I lean on that I, I think that a lot of it stems from my own pure intention and when I pop up and I do these things or go to training, I feel like it comes from me first. And then, you know, I may still interact with coaches in that day, but I've kind of put myself in those places because, um, yeah, I, I always felt that when I was a kid, I had to, you know, I didn't have the fanciest academies and coaches down there. I, I just had to see like a clip on TV or a montage of like Rocky or something. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, I can do those things. And I think, that'll make me fitter or stronger or, um, you know, I'd, I'd go to a cross-country carnival and I'd go, oh, if I just – I think if I just do a bit more in my, my training or run faster around the back paddock, um, yeah, it'll make the difference. And I'd go back the next year and, you know, I'd go from 50th in the race and come back and win it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, and so I'd get all these little clues and I feel like if you keep showing up and you just – 
kind of bit of wear, then you, you get your next clue and then you go away and train it. So I definitely felt like I was that underdog and you'd line up, you know, at, um, you know, state athletics or nationals or something and everyone have all the fancy spikes and I'd show up in my, my one pair of, you know, runners, my, my joggers, <laughs> and they'd be like, okay, you can change shoes into your spikes. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't have those, but I've got these. <laughs> and so you'd get a few looks from kids on the, on the start line. Um, but then I'd kind of just let like my performances do the talking. I think I saved up my whole, I call it my running career because I kind of transitioned at about 17 um, after the Youth Olympics and went into like full, uh, full on surfing. And yeah, I'd, I'd saved, I saved up my whole, I think from 10 to what, like 17 to get this one pair, my first pair of like Nike Milers at the time. And um, they were red, they had a stripe on them. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I only ever ran one like race. And then I kind of did the mic drop and went off to surfing. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about that because you very passed over it very modestly. The Youth Olympics, tell me about that experience. Oh gosh, yeah. I, I loved my running. I feel like as a sport, it really suited my personality of like it made sense. There's like a start line, a finish line, there's a process in between and you work a bit harder and usually the result would show on the track or your, your time, you'd get a bit faster. And, um, and and team sports as well. I love the disciplines of team sports and worked my way all the way up to, I guess, the, the top of the tree at the time to represent Australia. And then um, for some reason, surfing just always kept, I don't know, it's just like a gravitational pull. And I think because there's so many unknowns in it and it makes me and I guess my genetic makeup like uncomfortable a lot of the time because uh, I want it to, to be structured and, um, you know, this equals this. And a lot of the time it just doesn't and you know that firsthand that and, and the amount of energy and work you put in doesn't always, you know, accumulate to this result being hey, you're world champion at the end of the day. So um, there's something about it that I think was meant to to challenge me and, and I guess it feeds all those different um, components in my life that just keeps drawing me back and it never gets old. Yeah, it's such a lovely thing. I guess the the awareness you have that surfing is so unpredictable and so tough to manage and I don't think anyone will ever completely understand surfing as a sport because there is so many elements that we cannot control and coming from a like you said a sport background and I know how much you love sport the, the amount that you can watch you on wide world of sports and listening to you on Howie Games there's moments all through your career and you can see that you just bleed Australian sport and getting to watch you in the Olympics next year is going to be amazing I can't wait to watch that but just the way that you think, breathe and just feel everything about sport. The 2000 Olympics actually was a very special moment for you. I've heard the story on Howie's Games and I've actually seen you meet Kathy. How, how magic was that moment watching the 2000 Olympics? Oh, it was so influential. Uh, as a young kid, being 10 years old, being in the stadium when Kathy Freeman, like our icon of Australian sport, wins a gold medal. I just, I can still feel like the stadium erupting and um, and, it, and it's, it's amazing to watch um, athletes of our generation now, like how many were influenced by 
those moments and, and having an Olympic Games in your country. So, um, yeah, it was really, pretty wild, you know, to actually meet her about 18 years later and you were in the room and I thought I had it all together. Hey? Like I thought, <laughs> I was like, look, it's just a simple question. When they have question and answer time, I'm just, I've got my like little Sharpie and my hat and I'm going to get her to finally um, sign my hat. And I just didn't realise that emotion you carry um, from those moments as just a young grom because, yeah, you, <laughs> you, you witnessed that I walked up and I lost it. I just, you know, I was just bawling in front of Kathy Freeman. At the time I felt like, oh, a little bit embarrassing in like that moment where you just can't control your emotions. But in a way I was just like, no, I was just so into it and just thought it was so special that um, I was just being myself. I think that moment was such a powerful thing that the way that you were so vulnerable and so courageous to go up to, the, the vulnerability that you, I guess, felt like you were showing, but everybody else in the room looking at it as an act of courage, is like, it's a funny thing. Brené Brown talks a lot, Dr. Brené Brown talks a lot about vulnerability as strength and there's no courageous act without vulnerability. And it, sh- it seems like your whole career has been acted around this trust and vulnerability and you talk a lot about it with Howie. And that's trust and trusting your ability and trusting your strength and trusting what workings for you. How do you create that trust in your ability and in your decision making? Mm, I think we, um, there's so many good points in that. It's really amazing to reflect on the fact that um, I've kind of reverse engineered like a lot of my um, living and performing and um, I guess striving to achieve to today has just been on the back of like doing and obviously trusting uh, and I learn a lot more about it after the fact um, I guess as sport evolves and the language evolves and um, you learn more about those internal feelings um, it's just cool to have uh, that purity of in my actions when I when I am doing these things I'm like wow I don't know what's on the other side of this decision, but I'm going to go anyway. Like I trust that whatever's on the other side, I can pick up the pieces. And sometimes it's been quite extreme. Like in Fiji, when I perforated my eardrum and and thought, no, I can keep going. I'll tape it up and I'll just keep going. Or like in Honolulu Bay when I broke my shoulder and I was like, I'm not too sure. This is not working out, but I'm just, I feel like there's a little bit of meat left on the bone here. I I just want to know that maybe I gave it my all, but yeah, it's just that internal. And after the fact, like I kind of look back and go, oh yeah, we might be in a session with, um, obviously you've, you've interviewed, uh, Jason Patchell and, um, a bunch of amazing stories and, and you hear the language about, um, referencing those style of actions and you're like, oh yeah, that was kind of what I did. Oh, that's how I got there. And then, um, so it's been cool to be on both sides of the fence and, um, continually want to develop and grow. Yeah. It's so beautifully put. And I think, you would have heard this from Jace Patcher before and it's something that I really sum up to what you've just talked about is the act of confidence coming before the feeling of confidence. You touched on Fiji 2015, perforated eardrum, had to go to bed, wake up the next day against all medical advice. Let's talk about that story. Oh, at the t- yeah, I really, looking back, I, sometimes I go, I don't know how I did that, Goose. <laughs> I was just kind of working my way through pain barriers and, um, yeah, just those significant moments like for me when sometimes when I'm training especially through COVID we've had to go back to kind of that that isolated feel and I'm in that garage with all this sort of memorabilia and storage above my head and I just kind of 
sit in that for a moment and actually start to appreciate what that significant moment meant and it's sort of like that when you watch a, a sporting movie you know and and you see that amazing montage or the bit that makes you cry and I'm like wow I've kind of had a career that's had like littered with these moments watching back your career it's it's a very it's talked about a lot in the surf world Sally Fitzgibbon three-time world champ runner-up there's a destiny of a world title in there but it's not easy. You've got to be the best surfer in the world for the whole year. The women's tour is absolutely littered with crazy talents right now. You've come in the time where there's been leaps and bounds happening in the women's surf career, in the surf industry and you've been right in the thick of it. How hard's that been, being runner-up three times and then the last, I guess, six, seven years, being right there in grass, being distance and to maintain, I guess, positive mental health? Oh, for sure. I I used to, as a young pup, I feel as though runner-up was seen as like a failure. You're like, you're nearly there, but you don't get it. And they're like, it's just around the corner. And you're like, how many bloody corners are there? Like, where is this thing? And I was so driven by an outcome for sure. And that evolves, I think, in your athletic maturity and just being in something um, and an endeavour for like a long period of time. I feel like you definitely just get these different views of it. Like you start to really put it in your hand and and I think at this point, um, you know, 12 years deep on the Women's World Tour, I, I couldn't love it anymore, you know what I mean? And, and I feel like maybe not clinching a world title has allowed me to continually like be that underdog, always discovering, looking for parts of my surfing that I can work on or things I want to feel on my board that I haven't yet felt. And, and I think that... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. That curiosity has led me to the point where going back on tour, especially after this break, like I want to thrive in having those performances around me. I don't want to sort of go, oh, that person's surfing so good. I wonder if, you know, I'll turn away. I can't see their performances as like um, where they are or truly where they are because, you know, I want to be there. I want to be there. It's truly come more internal, I guess, in a way. And I'm just like, I want to be surrounded by it and continually push my surfing. And I just, I just don't know how much better I can get. I just want to know how... And I, I don't know if my surfing can keep evolving and I feel in my body and in that, um, in my training, you know, that it, it is, there's a lot more to give and that, that excites me. And I just sort of think like a few of the bits now, they're just going to take a longer period of time to learn. So if all I have to do is keep showing up, then that's something that I feel is one of my strengths. So I'll just show up. What sort of positive benefit do you think surfing and the ocean it has had? Not a, physical health is of massive importance to you. When it comes to mental health, how important is the ocean in surfing? Oh, it's the most amazing teacher because I feel like it just shows in its actions and, and it just delivers like the, I don't know, any given day, just the perfect scenario 
for you to parallel to what's going on on land. Like even just the fact of this morning um, surfing sparring heats, you know, and in training you got the jersey on and you go through your routines and it's constantly reminding me to let go and just to, um, you know, you, you might experience certain scenario and you're like, oh, I just didn't pan out in, in the heat. Um, even in practice you still get that surge of like, I want that to look like perfect and, <laughs> you know, I want to have my two good scores and to sit there all comfortable, but it just doesn't. And um, and I think we're always trying to squeeze stuff into a box. Like if I want to – I've gone out and maybe I've practiced a certain manoeuvre in, um, in training and I just want to kind of put like that into my heat surfing or I just want to do that manoeuvre because I've worked so hard on it. Like I just – I want something to show for it and that's as adults that always pushes us that, you know, just because we put the energy in and effort that we deserve an outcome. But it's just not the case. Like the, the, the glory and the awesomeness comes from just getting the opportunity um, to go in it and, and work on that and um, it doesn't have to connect to this almighty outcome to say that it was successful. Um, so, yeah, just the fact that you're out there and, you're always in your mind you're trying to like squeeze things into boxes that don't fit and it just uh, always reminds you hey Sal like let go and read the wave what's the wave actually what is possible on this wave and what is it asking yeah it's it's so beautifully put the idea of letting go and having that awareness that there necessarily isn't a box for things to fit in it's just things happen and they happen and I think the metaphor to go, come out of that with normal day life and an everyday job for people is we're going to create these expectations for things to happen and a hell of a lot of the times they're not going to pan out like that but having the capacity in our mind to let go or to learn from it is so powerful and I think that's what a lot of athletes and a lot of successful people have as a trait that's very common is that capacity to let go and that ability to reflect and build from things rather than just be upset by them I guess yeah and the the old trick of trying to fix stuff I'm uh, always aware of that one where you think oh I didn't perform this outcome in training I'll just I'll just fix it I just need to fix it and you know when you come in from a heat right and <laughs> and you're there and there's nothing more than what you want to do is just go back out and just do some more surfing to make it feel like oh no like it's all okay like I can do this this and this but you just can't you just left with that feeling of like how to absorb it, learn from it and let go, I think that is a constant in life and um, we're always trying to go, oh, that doesn't feel so good. I just want to fix it and make it go away. But the best part I think um, in in my evolution is that I kind of welcome those things in now and I really sit with them um, and just get all nice and comfy and uncomfy. Mm, it's a very liberating thing I bet, just knowing that, whenever you get to an uncomfortable situation, you can thrive in it. And there's so many beautiful, I guess, metaphors and beautiful ways to do that in life, whether it be having a cold shower every morning. I know there's a lot of study coming out behind putting yourself in uncomfortable situations every day so that when they do arise in life, which is inevitable, we're ready for them. And I feel like too many people, humanity nowadays, not don't seek discomfort, but seek comfort too much. And there's going to be so many moments where we're uncomfortable that people are clearly not thriving in because they're not 
capable of it because they're avoiding it so often. I know, I know. And it is, it's like that feeling of like, why would this be awesome in my day to feel uncomfortable? <laughs> but I, I feel like to be challenged is, you know, everyone's always like, whoa, I need this big almighty purpose to work towards. But if you really sit in what even your day-to-day is, there's so many little points that will trigger that feeling. It doesn't have to be waiting for a moment where it's the last heat and the world title's on the line. I'm seem to find that um yeah I can bump into it throughout my day and so that kind of guides me that I'm on the right track that I'm constantly challenging those ideas and um I don't have like that one set story um I try and be a bit more open what was the driving force behind Sally and community it's your project you're working on I guess the SF community is like just the whole collaboration of things that I've picked up and developed over um, my road, whether it was, um, you know, working in with the fitness kind of community and and building that connection for people to just get out and have a go or building like that stoke for, for Groms to pick up their board or anyone for that fact that with um, having like a signature board or this and that and just being, I guess, that that kind of point of reference for them to be like, oh, this person is just stoked on the things that we're stoked on. And that's what I kind of consider what I'm doing in life and striving for. I don't see myself any different to anyone else in their job role or their life's like purpose or pursuits. I just see that everyone is living like the same human experience. Like we're all in it together. And so through the SF community kind of work and whether it's running events or things that like I just got purely stoked on and then people just happen to be um, wanting to do the same thing as me. And then it's just leaving this footprint or I guess some sort of like legacy along the way, a little roadmap that, um, you know, people can pick up any of the projects or like the recipe books or the book and say like, well, we're cooking this tonight. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, I cooked that the other day. (laughs) And it just gives me this this familiarity with people um, straight up off the bat. And I think just that essence of like, um, yeah, that I'm just riding life's waves with them. And uh, so, yeah, so it's just getting more like-minded people together and just kind of creating that contagious radiant like energy in so many spots around the the world these days which is pretty cool i mean if you could share a little bit of the energy that you carry around just talking to you you can see the excitement you get when you are just sharing with me your sharing to the community it's it's a beautiful thing to watch how much energy it clearly brings to you and the energy that you bring to the community around you it's it's inspiring for me and that's why i've done this whole thing with the good human factory and good humans podcast and whatnot it's trying to use leverage my profile and our, I guess, luckiness of the life that we've got to live and then share that on to try and inspire others to give life the best crack that they can have because, I mean, it's pretty bloody great, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, and I know there's like so many challenging bits to it. Like on a daily basis, we're all pressed. Like we all have our set jigsaw puzzle that pushes our buttons and makes us like dig deep and rise up and, and connect and challenge ourselves in, in conflict and, um, you know, appreciating other people's views and um, working in with our own kind of ego and bravado that we all carry. And, um, yeah, I just think it's this perfect kind of harmony in a sense and, uh, and it, just, it just helps to, I don't know, the bits that 
I experience in my day when I think of things like social media and um, whether it's parts of the businesses I've um, interacted with, it's just like I, I just kind of try and think of something in my day that I really loved and then I authentically just think, wow, that would be awesome to share that. And then it's been cool to build platforms and have teams to be able to say like, hey, you can share it and, um, and just watch that kind of impact people. It's been so awesome getting to understand the way that you tick and the way that it's always been this intrinsic motivation and this intrinsic fire of I want to see how good I can become for me. Yeah. Having that inside fire is amazing. Is there any way that you would inspire people to find that burn or is there anything that you do that keeps it going for you? Oh, for sure. I, I believe that the more – it hasn't come without its challenges in terms of – Say you have that instinctual feel as a kid, you, you still want to be open to the fact you don't know best in a way. And like I don't consider myself being in my late 20s now that I know everything. How can I know everything or any – like I need to connect with people. I see the value in that. Um, people that have lived it, haven't lived it, that are thinking on the same things I'm thinking on. So it's this really finite balance of like, well, how – open to be in terms of like oh maybe I I don't know and and you sort of leave your framework you jump off your ship a little bit onto someone else's and go well they seem to know best at this point in time and you're using your best judgment to try and bounce off people to to kind of propel you forward into that next phase of life whatever that may be and sometimes it might not you might not propel in the right direction and you catch yourself and you go oh I feel a bit far from my you know my imagination, my instinct, those things. So it's constantly that back and forth between like and then and then coming back to this resting place of like, no, no, I've, I've got myself a few things here that I really value but I'm still leaving this space. And so you're constantly redefining the boundaries which I'm sure you've worked with Jason a lot on is like defining boundaries is really hard and, and I'm like a um, a, a person that loves connection with people and sharing. So it's like... It's hard to say no. It's hard to say, you know, oh, that's, that's great. That might work for someone but not for me. So um, it's just that constant checking in process um, to get – so it's not always like, hey, this is just always flowing. It's almost like there's periods of um, learning and, a, and some clunkiness and then all of a sudden you kind of choof, like shoot out of that phase and go, oh, yeah, I learned that that but I'm really comfortable with this bit. So I think it's important to always – come back to your center line um but yeah just constantly still be open which is the vulnerable part which is the hard part exactly yeah it just sounds like you've got this full growth mindset you're so willing to accept new knowledge new ideas and just having that capacity to filter out what works for you and actually trying things and giving them the time of day but then reflecting on if it works or not and I think a lot of people miss that they give something a go for a day and it's like it's a bit scary it's a bit different it's uncomfortable yeah but then we have to have that ability to get through that uncomfortable stage to find the solitude and to find the growth in that new challenge exactly and be brave enough to challenge it and um challenge people on their ideas and not necessarily mean like hey i'm not challenging you as a person you might respect the person but just chat debate is healthy and especially once you walk the road for so long in a craft i think there's room for a healthy amount of debate um in order to find those extra one percent is because you're only really working with such little 
um, I guess, the icing on the cake. For sure. I think just being able to debate but still drop the ego and being able to say that you're wrong is a huge one for athletes. It's something I struggle with a lot. Not a lot, but something that I have struggled with over the time is like being so set in stone on something that isn't actually working. <laughs> it's a very tough line to draw. I bet you've had a couple. Oh, gosh, we all have. Yeah. And, and you sit there on the beach at times and I think to myself, is that my ego? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and um, so I, like we're talking about, that all these things that you feel in a day, they're all there to challenge you on a daily basis. Like without picking up anything extraordinarily big or huge or changing anything and um, thinking, oh, I, I don't know, I, I don't experience that in my day. Like if you look closely, you definitely will. Yeah, for sure. It's just not easy. I guess everybody looks at a lot of people's lives on social media nowadays as if it's perfect and it's all rainbows and lollipops. But we all go through those tough moments every day and it's just the way that we react to those situations that makes us who we are oh gosh and and i feel like that just the evolution of an athlete if you're playing the long game if like for me i i love my craft i want to do it as long as i possibly can and i've always had that intention of like loving the competitive side and the travel and and whatnot so it's like but in surfing you know it all too well that you can come back and kind of deliver the the same painting or if it just keeps changing, like you kind of keep people guessing in your surfing that they're like, wow, it looks different. I don't know what I'm watching, but it's important that it, it does keep evolving. You look at the likes of some of the, the greats of the sport and one that's still going in, in Kelly and you just think he was constantly there, um, you know, challenging himself to go like, how can I come back different? And it's, what, 40 years later or something, <laughs> still going. <laughs> Thank you so much for sitting down with us today. It's been an honour to get to share the room with you. It's been great to get to know you over the last, I guess, 15 years of being a young Australian surfer alongside you for a long time. But so the stuff that you've been doing for not only the sport of surfing but for women surfing and just for all around being a great person and, and representing Australian sport with the utmost respect and dignity, it's, it's beautiful to share the room with you. So one last question we asked everyone, what does being a good human mean to Sally Fitzgibbons? That's one of the most powerful ones and I would second that in saying that these conversations that we're having and you continue to bring with the podcast, um, just keep having them because whether you're in a gym or you're training yourself, me, I'm a ma- massive podcaster and connecting with people's stories is so inspiring and it makes you feel like um, you know, this big community and you're all surging forward with this positive energy and, and, um, and good vibes. So to be a good human for me, uh, I think is um, living authentically and, and backing yourself and, um, yeah, just polishing the ordinary. Um, and, and I feel like sometimes people think, oh, I've just done my ordinary day, but if you do it the best you can, you will be super surprised on who you're impacting along the way. So it's all the, the little things and the, the tiny steps, I think, that people can reframe to be the biggest steps. Good Humans was presented by me, Cooper Chapman. Producer, Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.